Welcome to another edition of BAMS Radio on Bama Sports Radio, a V-Sporto channel. I'm Thomas Wants from Touchdown Alabama Magazine, and they let me out of my production cage to do the intro. I'm joined by Kerry Clark of Scout.com and Drew DiArmond of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. We've got a jam-packed show tonight with Rodney Orr of Tider Insider, John Garcia of Scout.com, and Patrick Walls, a new guest on the show. Before we get into that, though, let's sell some stuff, specifically SeatGeek. SeatGeek is an iOS or Android app which lets you find tickets to Alabama games. With a widget to the Georgia Bulldogs looming, SeatGeek is the place to go for deals for that game and any others you may want to attend. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping easy. When you're ready to buy tickets, snag a deal on your phone with just two taps on your app. There really is no better way to find Alabama football tickets. It finds these tickets with a technology called DealScore. DealScore calculates what every ticket in the building is worth and whether it's a good deal or not. Like we always say here on BAMS Radio and my other podcast, Too Deep Zone, if it's green, it's good, and if it's red, it's dead. Make sure to download the SeatGeek app on your iOS or Android device today or if you're a more browserly persuasion, go to SeatGeek.com for all of your Crimson Tide ticketing needs. Obviously, this past Saturday, the Crimson Tide fell to the Ole Miss Rebels. You know, there's no way, there's no other way to put it. And you know, there are a couple of plays that had they gone a different way, Alabama might have won, but they didn't. You know, there, there's not much more to say than that. You can't really. I don't fault the defense very much, uh, giving up what amounts to 14 really fluky points is something that is not a consistent thing. But, yeah, it was a very frustrating loss. What, what, what did you see from the press box, Kerry? I saw, and I hate to keep quoting Saban on this, but I saw a team with no offensive identity. I saw a team with one of the silliest, stupidest opening offensive game plans in the Saban era, if not the silliest and stupidest. The decision to start Cooper Bateman allegedly because they wanted to run a read option when he not one time in the quarter and a half or so that he played, not one time did he pull the ball out and, and toss it to uh, – and keep it when he could have gotten 30 yards one time, a touchdown another time. So what is the point in running read option with a quarterback who refuses to keep the ball and continues to hand it to the running back and – have them get destroyed. There is no point. So it was very silly. Um, it was embarrassing. Uh, the five turnovers were just uh, kind of a microcosm of the whole problem. It blows my mind that Alabama could have had such an outstanding, near-perfect game plan for Wisconsin out in Fort Worth, but yet could not come up with even a semblance of an offensive game plan I'm speaking of. I have no problem with the defense, as you said. I agree with you on that. But could not even come up with the semblance of an offensive game plan for two weeks in a row. And it didn't matter against Middle Tennessee State, but Ole Miss, it did matter. And, uh, I mean, it was it was befuddling. It is befuddling. Uh, something has to change. I, I think that uh, – Jake Coker showed the world that he is the quarterback of this team. 
that that was one thing that came out of the game. But uh, other than that, I mean, I, I really I wish I could give you a business reason for how they started the game. I cannot. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, Kerry, before we bring Drew on, I, I have to sell a couple of things for our good friends at Bama Sports Radio. And what we're peddling today is the Seat Geek app. SeatGeek is an iOS or Android app which you can use to find tickets to Alabama football games. With a visit to the Georgia Bulldogs looming, SeatGeek is the place to go for deals for that game and any others you might want to attend. And obviously Drew needs to mute. What the hell is that? (laughs) SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. When you're ready to buy tickets and snag a deal on your phone, when you're ready to buy tickets, Snag a deal on your phone with just two taps on your app. There really is no better way to find Bama football tickets. It finds these tickets with a technology called DealScore. DealScore calculates what every ticket in the building is worth and whether it's a good deal or a bad deal. Like we always say on Two Deep Zone in Bam's radio, if it's green, it's good, and if it's red, it's dead. Make sure to download the SeatGeek app on your iOS or Android device, or if you're of a more browserly persuasion, take a look at SeatGeek.com for all your Crimson Tide ticketing needs. Anyway, just got joined by Drew. Drew, we're just kind of doing our initial thoughts on the Ole Miss game. I know you and I went back and forth uh, on your show earlier this week, but, you know, catch us up. What, what did you see from the uh, Tide and Rebels tussle this past Saturday? A complete and utter failure by Lane Kiffin to put together a cohesive offensive plan. The entirety of the loss is on Lane Kiffin uh, and the offensive staff. First of all, Cooper Bateman should have never started the football game. Jake Coker should have started the football game. Then, even with all the mistakes, and of course there were quite a few, four turnovers and obviously some penalties and of that ilk, and of course a couple of, uh, you know, and really just one bust in the secondary, but of course the fluke play to Adebayo. Still could have won the game in the two-minute drill, but just a, uh, a uh, with three minutes to go running the two-minute drill, but just a putrid play call on a post pattern to, uh, uh, you know, our Darius Stewart. They'd only had trouble blocking Tim Dietschy for the entirety of the 60 minutes, and he decides to go deep. Jake Coker gets hit as he throws. And, yes, Coker did uh, – it was a slow release on the ball, but at the same time, uh, you know, they needed to be patient there. They had plenty of time. You didn't want to give Ole Miss the ball back with much time on the clock. They had a gas defense playing the two-deep zone. You've got Derrick Henry in the game with 127 yards rushing, can also do damage as a receiver. They didn't want to hit him anymore. I could go on and on, but it was a complete and utter failure and an F from Lane Kiffin, one of the probably the worst game plan in the history of the Nick Saban era, and it's on his back. There you have it, and that was probably the mild version. Uh, the version that I heard walking back to the car after the game was um, – <laughs> A good Bjorman tirade. But I'm glad he scaled it down for tonight. But the, the point being, uh, you can't continue to go forward with, with those type of silly game plans and expect to win in this conference. Alabama's got the toughest schedule of anybody in the SEC. They don't play South Carolina. They don't play Kentucky. They don't play Vandy. They, don't, they do play, sorry, Arkansas, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there really are not any words for that game plan, so – I guess the best thing to do before we move on is I'll, I'll go ahead and give the participation chart uh, from the game. Alabama was able to play 53 guys. The starters on offense were Robinson, Pierce Barker, Kelly, Shank Taylor, Dom Jackson, Dakota Ball, O.J. Howard, started two tight ends, Cooper Bateman, <laughs> who's already talked about that, Derrick Henry, Ardair Stewart, Rob Foster on defense. Alabama started John Allen, 
Aishon, Jaron Reed, Duvall. That's another uh, head scratcher we'll get into in a second. No idea why the guy's playing in the nickel. Micah uh, Fitzpatrick, Reggie Raglan, Ruben Foster, Cyrus Jones, Marlon Humphrey, uh, Eddie Jackson, and Gino Mapia Smith. And off the bench, the tide brought Chris Black, Ronnie Harrison, Christian Miller, Bradley Sylvie, Calvin Ridley, who played pretty well, Alex Harrelson, Hootie Jones, Tony Brown, Cam Sims, Deron Payne, he's coming on. Deshaun Hand is getting more time. Jake Coker should have started. J.K. Scott, Richard Mullaney, the best receiver on the team now. Kenyon Drake, uh, Sean Dion Hamilton, Mo Smith, Ryan Anderson, Dylan Willie, uh, Burgess Becker, Keith Holcomb, Nice Wander, uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, Tim Williams, barely. I mean, you could count it on one hand what he played the snaps. And sure, no, I, I, I have no idea what happened to Rashawn Evans. That's another question. But anyway, back to who did play. D.J. Petway, Brandon Green, Bradley Bozeman got a few snaps on offensive line. Florio Smith, uh, Parker Barano, Darren Lake, and Adam Griffith. Drew, uh, since the opener, we have seen not hide nor hair of Rashawn Evans. Any idea at all what's going on there? Uh, nope. Uh, I know he played special teams this past Saturday. That's all he played. You know. Well, then the score missed him if he did. I was told he played. Uh, I asked a couple of people that rewatched the game. They said he was in there on special teams, and okay. I'm uh, I'm beyond you know bewildered as to why he hasn't been in at least on third downs and playing some on defense because the next tackle Dylan Lee makes will be his first, well, second. I think he's been credited with one tackle in three games, but uh, you know he. He hasn't made any plays. Uh, he's not as athletic as either Tim Williams or uh, Rashawn Evans. And we saw Tim Williams, of course, play just a few snaps. And then one of them late in the game, they would have had 12 men on the field. They had to run him off really quickly. But uh, I'm like you, Kerry. I don't understand why Denzel Duvall is playing. I guess they don't trust Rashawn Evans and Tim Williams as of yet. Uh, but I'm just – I think everyone's kind of just getting a little tired of that. And uh, you need to, you know, let young players play. They're sure as heck doing it in the defensive backfield with Minka Fitzpatrick and uh, Marlon Humphrey, Ronnie Harrison. Why they can't do it at outside linebacker, I have no idea. Uh, you know, I, to me, they're not going to, you know, can, to get to the elite level defensively until they get more athletic on the outside because Dylan Lee is a pretty good athlete, but not near the athlete as those two. And it bends, and it goes without saying that Denzel Duvall is not. So that's one area that I'm still perplexed. And all that being said, if it wasn't for a fluke play, it would happen one out of 25 times. And then uh, for an illegal play, uh, that and again, it, the illegal play didn't lose Alabama the game, but it sure as hell didn't help. But if it wasn't for those two plays, that's 139 yards right there. Then Ole Miss doesn't get anywhere close to uh, – 400 and some odd yards of offense so it is what it is but Alabama's just going to, have to continue to plug and get better and we'll see what happens but uh, I'm going to be really really interested to see you know how the team looks against Louisiana Monroe and on the first play of the game if they run some kind of speed sweep I may have to put something stronger in my coke uh to uh to get me through the ball game or or a deep pass you know quit trying to force that when it's not there uh, speaking of Duvall, he was in on two tackles. One was for a loss of a yard, to his credit, but he had zero sacks and zero quarterback hurries against a team that throws the ball three-fourths of the time. So uh, why he's out there in something – now, we understand why he's out there in the base. But in nickel and dime – and I'll tell you another experiment that's not working too well, Drew. Uh, running Reggie Ragland as a rabbit on third and long. He's not really getting near the quarterback much. 
let's let's try let's let him cover like a tight end or something, and let's uh, let's let Reuben Foster have a shot at that for a little while, or one could hope. Right. But anyway, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that's, that's going on that uh, really is not understandable by us. Yes. Um, uh, Thomas Rodney texted. He answered. So he maybe had yeah he had a few issues with his cell phone on my show on uh, on Tuesday as well. Uh, so we'll see. Cell phones have gremlins. Uh, uh, I, I completely understand where Rodney's coming from. Mine keeps wanting to update. So we'll uh, hopefully you know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, get, get this worked out, and of course, uh, we've had some issues uh, on the on the uh, on the blog talk side, but we'll see what happens. I don't think it was on Rodney's end, um, but anyway, he's ready whenever we can get him. But we'll just keep talking until we get him. Uh, we when we do get him, we'll only have him until eight thirty. That's a hard and fast rule, so let's let's honor that. We do have uh, another spot at eight thirty to run. And then we have uh, a, a spot to run at eight thirty. By the way, that involves an entity that if uh, student-athletes participate in, they get to miss a whole year of eligibility. Yes, uh, DraftKings.com. Yeah. A little bit of so, fantasy uh, football for money. If you you're listening... Can, can make if, millions off these kids' backs and put millions of people in the seats, but God forbid they take $10 and play at DraftKings.com, they give up a year of eligibility. Another great ruling by the NCAA dip, uh, dip weeds. Okay. Uh, do we need to ask Rodney to call us? Because we can if we need to. Yeah, you can, we can try that. Uh, you want to text? Do you have our number? I'll, I'll just uh, okay. We got it. Never mind. We'll go ahead and bring on Rodney Orr, the uh, owner and general manager and editor in chief of TyrerInsider dot com, founding member, head head cook and bottle washer. Uh, Rodney, welcome <laughs> to Bands Radio. All the great ones can do it all, Kerry. You know that, right? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. Juggle uh, several different duties. Rodney Orr of Tider Insider. Rodney, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys? We're doing pretty good. Uh, just rehashing the loss. Haven't had too many of those lately. Uh, two in a row to the Rebels. But uh, I, now we're kind of just kind of looking to the future and seeing what uh, what could happen uh, with uh, Alabama from this point forward. And uh, I think everyone expects Alabama to win the game on Saturday, but I think most everyone's more interested to see how they approach the game, especially on the offensive side of the ball from this point forward, and to see if Jake Coker can build on what he's done. Well, I think that's all interesting. Those are all interesting questions and certainly going to be things that we're going to see how they're answered on Saturday because – this is the first step in the, you know, trying to get back in the right direction, and uh, I think it's an important game from the standpoint of, you know, Alabama doing those things, getting back, and you know, not making turnovers offensively, not turning the ball over. Uh, Coker really needs to, you know, continue to improve. And listen, you know, I'm not really worried about Cooper Bateman started. You know, people say, well, what would have happened? Well, you know what? It might have been good for, for uh, Jake Coker to come off the bench. You know, it might have been a different perspective for him that that maybe helped him a little bit because he sure played with a lot of passion. That's the most passion I've seen him play with. He seemed a little bit more confident, though he still made, you know, a lot of mistakes. Uh, you know, but 
in the fourth quarter, he was 12 of 24, I think, for 108 yards, but he had two interceptions, two big interceptions. One set up an Ole Miss score, touchdown, and the other one prevented Alabama from having an opportunity to maybe win the game. So those are still the kind of things that, that, that he's, he's going he's gonna to have to overcome. And it's going to be a lot tougher games, man. I, I hate to say it, but when you're talking about going on the road at Georgia and going on the road at Texas A&M, you know, hosting LSU here, those are going to be some very, very difficult games. And they loom large in Alabama's season, guys. It could go, you know, three or four losses, or, you know, it could turn out like last year. I mean, it could go from one extreme to the other. We'll just have to see. And it all starts on Saturday. Rodney, before we get into recruiting, uh, we were chatting before you came on about some personnel questions. Uh, Do we need to put out milk carton with a picture of Rashawn Evans on it? Jeez. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know what's uh, – I wish I could answer that one. I mean, I really do. I, I would – you know, Rashawn is obviously a very highly recruited player who's a very athletic kid with a lot of talent. Looked like – I remember seeing him in the Alabama-Mississippi High School All-Star game. I thought he was, you know, one of the best linebackers, outside linebackers athletically I had seen, you know, in that game ever. And – uh I'm just disappointed that he hasn't played more. That's just my opinion as, you know, a follower. Uh, would love to see him play more, and hopefully he does. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know when that might start, though. And, Rodney, uh, I agree with that 100%. I, I'm, you know, perplexed as to why he hasn't played more, especially on third down, because early, I mean, they've gotten some pressures from the defensive line, but – Still, uh, they have. There's been minimal plays except for you know seven tackles, but most none of those in the backfield really for maybe one of them for Denzel Duvall thus far. I've uh, they haven't really stood. They're not getting a lot of production uh, from the outside linebackers. Uh, and then obviously uh, there's still been a few mistakes in the secondary. Though I know I believe the secondary is getting better. I mean it's not where it needs to be, but I think they're improving. Uh, but uh, again, uh, I. I, I I, I guess the the one thing that that, that what that where I think that if they could get more production from the outside backers as far as pressures, Coach Saban keeps harping on turnovers. But if you could get more production out of the outside guys, that might wreck some havoc, and they might be able to force more turnovers, which I think has been uh, still the reason this defense uh, did not has not you know there was a lot of expectations for it going into this season, but thus far they've played pretty well, but. I, I don't think they've quite reached the level people hoped yet because of the inability to force those turnovers. Well, as the outside linebackers you're talking about, and, you know, I agree with what you're saying in terms of be great to see those guys really be able to affect the quarterback. And I think Alabama's done a little bit better job of that just with their defensive front as a whole this year. Uh, you know, I, the one thing I'll say going back to Evans is every time I see him, he's got his hand on the ground at, at the left end spot when he's rushing the passer. It seems to be basically the same thing every time. I, you know, with his ability, I don't know why you can't stand him up and move him around. Again, I'm not questioning what they're doing because I, I don't, I don't know exactly, you know, what they want him to do. But uh, it just, I remember in the Alabama Mississippi All Star game, they line him up on the right side, left side. He you know, batted down passes, intercepted his own tip ball and returned it for a touchdown. And, I mean, just a phenomenal player. And uh, I, I don't I don't know why he, they, he kind of seems to be 
here. I know he needs to get a little bit bigger, but, um, uh, you know, I, it just seems like they should be able to stand him up some and move him around and let him rush in different ways. But, you know, again, I'm not claiming to be, you know, have more knowledge than Nick Saban or Kirby Smart for that matter, but it just just an observation from afar. Rodney, Alabama got two commitments today, one in basketball from a JUCO guard, Armand Davis. Drew and I will touch on him later. But why don't you tell our listeners, Rodney, about the 2017 football commitment Alabama got today from Roswell, Georgia? Well, Terry, I'll be honest with you. You know something I don't know because I just got in. I've been at the university in, in uh, you know, the press conferences, and I just, I just actually walked in. So you know something I don't know about the commitment. I'm going to let Drew take it then. Yes, Rodney, they did. They got a commitment today um, from Xavier McKinney, uh, who is a 2017 safety from Roswell, Georgia. He, uh, I believe it's the same high school as Trey Lamar, who Alabama was recruiting, uh, the inside linebacker, the 2016 yeah. Yeah, young man. And, and uh, they, they'd been recruiting him, and uh, they had offered McKinney back in the spring. And he, he'd been down there, I think, three times in the last three months. And he was there Saturday night, and – uh, I think he just decided to go ahead and pull the trigger, and obviously they liked him enough to take him. I think they project him as a safety. Uh, I have not had a lot of, uh, a chance to watch a lot of his film yet, but some people that I trust say it's very impressive. So he's the seventh commitment in the 2017 class. But as you know, I just got through uh, talking to a friend of ours, uh, Freddie Kirby, who uh, we were talking about him. I don't get too excited about the 2017s yet. Uh, and now you no. know that they hold these commitments hold, but as we know, you know, D.D. Bowie was there as well, and there's been a lot of speculation about him flipping to Ole Miss. Uh, but we will see. Uh, that, but uh, like I say, he's he's a good-looking player, got nice size, uh, but he committed to Alabama uh, really this afternoon before the basketball commitment uh, went public of Armand Davis uh, uh, from Southern Idaho, Idaho Junior College. Pardon me. Yeah. Again, I, I didn't. I've been tied up with the uh, football stuff over there, and I, I was not aware that he had committed. But, you know, I'm like this. I, I, you know, it's great, great commitment. But at the same time, you know, I warn my readers constantly. <laughs> I don't put a lot of stock in these guys committing so early and because they change so much. And even the 16 guys right now. I mean, until we get into December and January, the way it is now, guys. I mean, I don't, I don't get too comfortable with some of these high-profile guys that commit early. So, uh, you know, again, I, I think it's a great pickup, but uh, you know, just gonna ha- kind of have to wait quite a while until we, you know, know exactly how solid it is. Overall, Rodney, there were a ton of prospects, right around 80 or so, maybe a little less than that, but a ton of prospects at the game Saturday. Uh, you know, official visits, a few, most unofficial. Uh, who who all did Alabama make a move with that you know of? Well, I, you know, again, I think there's, the process is so ongoing. I, I think Alabama, there's some guys that actually didn't show up that I, you know, still think Alabama is in really good shape with and has great opportunity with. and uh, But some of the guys that, that kind of stand out, and again, it, there were so many of them, uh, but I really think that uh, guys like Dexter Lawrence, who's a great uh, highly talented 
defensive lineman from Wake Forest, North Carolina. He was here with his mother. I know that they had a fantastic time here, and they plan to come back. Alabama's in really position with him. We'll see, you know, again, how, how that all unfolds. And, you know, we had a story on Jeffrey Simmons today, uh, the, the defensive lineman who's from, from Mississippi who's considered the number one player in that state now, hands down. And, uh, you know, he was here just, I mean, just numerous other prospects of, that, that were here in town and, and making visits. And uh, Terrell Hall from Washington, D.C. is a guy that Alabama's, you know, been in on really hard, a former Ohio State commit who's a linebacker slash defensive end. And uh, I think Alabama's in good position with him depending on how, you know, again, their numbers kind of unfold and uh, see who they want to take. I, they're still evaluating some of these things, you know, exactly who they can get and, uh, you know, certain positions. And another defensive lineman, for example, Michael Carter from over in Georgia, Jackson, Georgia, he was here. He's very highly touted. He had a great camp at Alabama this summer. And I know that Alabama's been one of his top schools. In fact, he had told us earlier that Alabama was his number one school. And I think that may have changed a little bit or, or, or had changed a little bit. Georgia's been really recruiting him hard. Auburn's recruited him hard. So, you know, again, I, I, just a lot of really top-notch guys in town uh, this, this past weekend, and I think they'll probably get a few of them. And Rodney, obviously uh, one of them, one of those guys who he, he wasn't in town. He was uh, he had he had come the week before against Middle Tennessee, and then after visiting Oregon, he's uh, officially he sort of pushed his uh, commitment date back. He was going to commit this week uh, on the 23rd. Actually, you know it would have been today, uh, but Nigel Knott uh, from Madison, Mississippi, Germantown High School. Uh, but I know you still think that uh, this thing's not over, and Alabama still got a pretty solid shot. Well, I talked to some people over in Mississippi. Follow it pretty closely, and you know he was on cloud nine. I think everybody understands that when he got back from yeah. Oregon, had a great visit. You know, sometimes you have to let these guys come down a little bit, and uh, you know then they make their decision. And sometimes it's not exactly, you know, for example, Oregon in this case. Maybe uh, once he comes down off cloud nine, it's you know it's not Oregon. So I think Alabama was the, the team he was going to commit to. Uh, today, but uh, again, he delayed that decision, and you know, I still think Alabama's, you know, from what my people over in Mississippi told me a day before yesterday, that they still think that Alabama's in really, when all things settle down, that Alabama's still in good position. And uh, I think a, a big point of is that his father, David Knott, is, uh, lives over here in the Huntsville area, has a, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. Fit, has a fitness facility, and Played for the Tennessee Valley Vipers for many years. Of course, went to Ole Miss, but he's a fixture in the state of Alabama. He would be near his father, and uh, I think that could end up playing a factor in his recruitment. And then also, I think we all saw Rodney uh, with how the game turned out on Saturday at Ole Miss, uh, or excuse me, against Ole Miss with the big physical receivers, the Cody Fours and the Laquan Treadwell. That Alabama needs to get some big physical guys at wide receiver. And to me, the most impressive kid on film that I've seen is A.J. Brown. And, he, you know, he's somebody that I know Alabama, from what I hear, he's the top wide receiver on their board. Uh, they're going to have to get him away from Ole Miss and, of course, hometown Mississippi State. But I know Bo Davis has done a great job with him. And then, of course, Keith Gavin of Wakula, Florida. 
Yeah, well, Gavin, of course, I think Tosh LaPoy's done a really good job with him for a long time. Um, I know uh, he was decommitting from Florida State a while back, and uh, there's been speculation of what he might end up doing, you know, in terms of Alabama. He's a big kid, what, 6'4". So he's the one you're talking about. A.J. Brown's, you know. He just dropped. Well, I think he probably needed to go anyway. Yeah. Uh, he, had, he had requested to drop at 8.30 anyway. So that was Rodney Orr from TylerInsider.com. Uh, we didn't have him too long this week, but we will get him back for you all in a few weeks. But at the same time, uh, we need to do a, a little bit more business, don't we, Thomas? That is true. We're going to be joined again by Murph Baldwin. Carrie, you haven't heard this commercial, so your reaction should be priceless. What's going on, y'all? We want to welcome in a new partner, Casper Mattresses. Obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. Listen, you spend about a third of your life sleeping, so let's make sure you're doing it on a good mattress. Casper brings together two comfortable technologies for better nights and brighter days. Latex foam and memory foam. I like that. So they've got just the right sink and just the right bounce, no matter how you sleep. Here's more good news. they got a risk-free trial equipped with the return policy. They'll deliver it straight to you. You can try it for 100 days. And if you're not happy, they'll be more than happy to pick it back up. It's 500 for a twin-size mattress and 950 for a king-size mattress. Now compare that to the industry average. You'll see that's an outstanding price point. And now you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com forward slash Bama and using the code Bama. Terms and conditions apply. That's Casper Mattresses, y'all. I don't even know if that was serious or not, but uh, yeah, thanks, Murph. Oh, it was serious. It was in our it was in our reads. I promise. That's a real that's, deal. Uh, <laughs> that's why that's why Murph's cell phone pings constantly from Piedmont Park. And if you if you don't uh, live in the Atlanta area, you probably won't get that joke. But if you do, you're probably falling out of your chair right now. But anyway, thank you for that. Um, I'm glad to know the guys at Bama Sports Radio are out there selling all these ads, and we're still working for free. That's that's awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Keep it up. Very valid question, Gary. Thought the same thing myself since we uh, seem to be bringing in some sponsors, but I guess that'll be another question for another time. Yeah. After hearing the deals that some of the guys got at at the uh, sports talk station in Tuscaloosa, um, it it, it might not be anything we'd be getting rich off of anyway. All right, well, uh, I'm going to give Thomas a a little bit of time to uh, work on our next guest. And uh, you guys are going to be happy with this next guest that we're going to bring on the air in just a few minutes. Uh, He is a guy that has been spot on with his analysis of Alabama recruiting, Alabama coaching searches, Alabama personnel matters, team chemistry, game plans, whatever. Uh, If you work – or if you read any of the major 
Bama websites, you're, you're going to know who this next guest is, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to have him on when we get him. But while we wait on him, Drew, somebody just tweeted something to Aaron Suttles that's a valid question, and uh, yes. I, I'd like to get, I'd like to get your opinion on it. And the same thing happened, by the way, when when Mal Moore passed a while back. But why has there been no mention of Bryant Denny Stadium in the first two home games of the passing of Kenny Stabler? I have no idea. I mean, why would you have the student section? And Chris Walsh got to give him credit uh, from the Bleacher Report of tweeting this out first at the game Saturday night. You have a portion, uh, you know, a, a pretty big portion of the student section with Raiders jerseys on. Most of them Kenny Stabler, a few of Mario Coopers, but. Again, it was in homage to Snake, as they, I believe, honored the 1967 uh, SEC championship team. Uh, and, you know, Jimmy Fuller was one of the uh, uh, honorary captains, and he was Kenny Stabler's roommate. Why there was no mention of Kenny Stabler, I'll never know. I mean, that was a big, you know, question in the press box. A lot of people, that, that, that word was floating around, why the university. First of all, it took them too long from – the, the, the media relations office to release word of his passing, and now no word from the university on uh, honoring uh, his. He, uh, the, 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 now that he is gone from this world, uh, there's been no uh, word, uh, no uh, mention of him at, at an Alabama football game. To me, it's mystifying, and you know, as Ryan Fowler said, it just shows to me that the, that right now someone in the media relations department at Alabama is, is is lost touch or something. I don't I don't know. It surprises me, especially. And you've got an AD like Bill Battle who played at the university and I believe knew Snake and I don't know he didn't play with him but he played in the same era so I just really don't understand it at all. Me neither. Like I said, the same kind of similar thing happened with Mal Moore a while back. But let's go ahead and bring on our next guest on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check him out on the web at BigHeadsBBQ.net and we sure enough tore up some Big Heads Barbecue at the Bams Radio Tent this past week. But I want to go ahead and bring on uh, – a guy who I've been conversing with over the Internet and social media and all kind of ways for many years now. Uh, we've never actually met in person, but I, could, I still consider him a good friend. Uh, and, I, and I'm talking about the guy that you read on the Internet as Walls98, but his real name is Patrick Walls out of the great state of North Carolina, but a Bama graduate. Uh, Patrick, welcome to Bama's Radio. Thank you, Drew and Kerry. Glad to, glad to join you. You know, uh, it's funny you're talking barbecue, actually, uh, was at a meeting today, and Mark Gottfried was there. And uh, in his usual politic himself, I asked him, so, Mark, has, has it changed, Alabama barbecue or North Carolina barbecue? He said, boy, you did put me on the spot there. And, uh, of course, he went with North Carolina barbecue, which we all know is a big farce if you've ever lived up here. But, anyway, uh, jealous of you boys still having the good Alabama barbecue down there. Yeah, absolutely, Patrick. Uh, great to have you on, man. And, uh like I said, I've been reading your posts, and uh, we've been following each other on Twitter for a while, conversing back and forth, and it's great to finally have you on uh, BAM's radio. And uh, obviously, uh, a tough loss for Alabama last Saturday, uh, very disappointing. And we've already kind of been conversing about we were a little bit mystified at the offensive approach, and really, I've been mystified since game one. Uh, you know, I, I really respect Travis Ryer and his football IQ, and I had him on my radio program on uh, Tuesday, as I always do, and. I asked him about that, you know, because a lot of people thought they were just working on some things to put some things in place for Ole Miss on uh, against Middle Tennessee State. Now you really don't know if that was the case because for two straight weeks, I think Alabama's gotten away from what the strength of this team should be. And 
I, I'm going to be really interested to see what uh, what uh, transpires on Saturday against Louisiana Monroe. You bring up a good point, Drew, and you know here's the here's really the deal. The game plan going into the year was to was get back to our power running game, obviously, and play to the strength of our team, which is our defense. Now, uh, yes, uh, in the second game, we did work on the passing game some and, and put Jake in some uncomfortable situations. He didn't respond real well, which I believe uh, that and, and, and some issues in practice led to the start of Cooper Bateman last week. But, uh, yeah, it mystifies all of us, you know, and, and I think even uh, Coach Saban was a bit mystified that um, that we have abandoned what we've always done, and that is to pound, 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 uh, go off play action, and wear teams down. And uh, I was especially disappointed. I think two of Lane's calls in that game just completely caught me off guard. I, I, I believe it was the first first quarter when we were down. Uh, we were second and goal from about the eight, and instead of you know running a safe route or handing it off, we ran a fly sweep to Ridley. You know, and lost about 15 yards, but it's completely out of uh, touchdown position. That call mystified me. And then on the last drive, you know, we're we're we've got first down. But there's over three minutes left in the ball game, and it's and it's the play that uh, that the pick was on, and pretty much sealed Alabama's fate. You know, why not run the ball there? Uh, it was, you could tell Ole Miss's defense was gassed. You didn't have to be there. You didn't have to be watching on TV. You didn't have to be on the sideline to tell that. And uh, so just you know. His patience with the running game has been something for a year and a half now that uh, has completely mystified me and uh, everybody else I speak to. And uh, it's been a big point, I know, uh, this week. And now last week against Ole Miss again, you know, we got down 30 to 10 and had to abandon uh, the game plan we had going in. Um, And and on that point, I will say this. Anybody I've spoken with or talked to, when I looked at this schedule, I said Ole Miss is going to be – our toughest game, and that may surprise some people. I don't care where they were ranked, how they were ranked. They play physical defense. They're well coached, and they have legitimate NFL talent on that team. And um, so I knew going in, it was going to be an absolute dogfight. You and I conversed that way back and forth. And um, and just, you know, obviously five turnovers and a couple of fluke plays helped with that. But Again, going in, you know, I, I feel better against Georgia. I feel better against these other teams than I ever did against uh, against Ole Miss. Patrick, looking at the schedule, Alabama has got such a tough road to hoe. There, there's no Kentucky on the schedule. There's no Vandy. Uh, there's no South Carolina. Uh, I guess the closest thing to a gimme in the conference would be Arkansas, and they're not exactly a slouch, although they're screwing up right now. But looking at the schedule as it plays out, and you kind of touched on that in your last comment, but, I mean, do you do you truly see a scenario where Alabama runs the table, or do you kind of feel like there's at least one more loss on the ledger? Yeah, you know, I feel there is. I just think with the uh, with the grind. Now, you know, to me, the losing losing Robert Foster's a killer. We're de- deathly thin at the wide receiver position. Um, unless Chris Black can learn to block in the running game, because if you don't block in the running game as a wide receiver at Alabama, you don't play. And um, he's got to pick that up, and he's got to start doing that consistently along with his routes. And if he does, you know, hopefully he can pick up some of the slack. But um, with Mulaney, Ardarius, and Ridley as our top three options right now, you know, I don't think with a quarterback that is um, a little gun shy at best, 
that that running the tables in the cards. I really don't, honestly. Now things can change, obviously. Uh, hopefully, Coker took the reins of this team like last week, and everybody knows he's our man, and that built a lot of confidence up in him. But you know, again, we have we're going to have some close games. We have a kicker with the yips, and as good a story as Adam Griffith is, uh, we all know and we've seen it uh, every year. The kicking game always cost us one, and the kicking game didn't cost us one last week. Uh, special teams did, but not exactly the field goal kicking game. And I'm afraid it may cost us one down the line. But uh, I'm optimistic. You know, I I feel like uh, it's overblown a bit about you know the falling of Alabama, and and we're one year away from from really being personnel wise able to match up with these spread teams and the way the team the game is going. Um, but with that said. And to answer your question, Carrie, yeah, you know, it, it's a tough schedule, and there's no doubt about it. And uh, obviously it's one game at a time. If we can escape the injury bug, and and uh, then I think we have a decent chance. But, but again, I, the kicking game worries me more than anything. I guess another cause for concern, and, and I realize that we don't play people like Robert Kendici every week. I, I get that. But I guess another kind of a cause for concern is uh, I, I'm not really seeing a chemistry on the offensive line like I was hoping for. Uh, through three games, how would you assess the performance of the offensive line? I don't, don't, it, it, to me, you know, it's the right side. And, and I'm not as concerned with Shank, Alphonse Taylor, as as we are with the Dominic Jackson. You know, really high hopes from him, for him this year. Um He's still a step slow over there, and against uh, you know top flight talent, uh, he's getting beat routinely. You know, again, uh, you know Kelly is not going to face anybody like Ken Dietzy last week, but he got uh, he got eaten alive in the middle most of that game, and you know he's an All American. So this goes to show you the talent that we face week in and week out, week out. But the the offensive line, um, and and, it, and again, Mario Cristobal, one of the best recruiters in the world, um, but has the offensive line regressed? Um, the last two years, I would certainly say it has. Now, in fairness to him, we've had some of the best offensive lines in, in, you know, as long as I can remember the last five, six, seven years. So to keep to that standard is tough. But, you know, we whiffed with a couple of recruits. And um, the ones we've gotten, A, haven't developed. And so, therefore, we're, you know, we're, we're having to go the JUCO route to get some guys to bring them in. And, and, and you know, that, that, should, that should tell anybody. When, when you look at the offensive line and we're signing JUCO guys um, to take spots, and, and some of them work out, some of them don't. But at the same time, you know, that's, that's, that's a cause for alarm. So any, any of your listeners that follow recruiting and see where all of a sudden a, a JUCO offensive lineman pops up that we're taking, uh, you know, keep your fingers crossed that he's going to work out because that means that, uh, that we've got an issue somewhere. And, uh, Patrick, I agree. Um, I think Mario is a great recruiter, but I don't think he's the teacher that Jeff Stoutland was, though at the same time Stoutland wasn't the recruiter and the talent evaluator that Mario, I think, is. But, again, it's all about getting results. And uh, I, I do think that Dom has been the weakest link thus far. Shanks had a few issues, but, I mean, I think Bozeman can play as well. That That's going to work itself out. But I wanted to talk about the defensive side of the ball. We've already kind of had this as a topic on the show. I'm just sort of mystified uh, that that we have, haven't seen more of Tim Williams and Rashawn Evans uh, because I think Alabama, they've had they've been able to get, get some pressure from their front, front three and front four when they go to four-man fronts. But 
they haven't had a lot of playmaking from the outside linebackers uh, since really Courtney Upshaw left. And, and I've been surprised that uh, when they w- recruited Rashawn, when they recruited, and you can see Tim Williams' obvious talent, though he has had off the field issues earlier in his career. But I've been surprised that with Lance Thompson gone and Tosh LaPoy in, that maybe they haven't worked in some of these younger guys because Denzel Duvall is a solid guy in the base, but he's not really a, a, you know, a, a guy that's going to flash off the edge and pressure the QB. And then Dylan Lee, to be blunt, has just he has not had the year I was hoping thus far. I mean, it's early in the season, but he has not been an impact guy at all. What are your thoughts? Great question. You know, uh, Dylan's an interesting kid. Uh, hard worker, um, just not quite the flash that the other guys have, you know, and um, and therefore he's taken off the field a lot in the in the passing situations. I I like the move of Reggie Ragland and getting him down there and, and bringing him off the edge. Uh, but to be honest with you, we haven't had a lot of third and longs in order to bring you know our, our rush package in. Um, teams are are game planning and saying, hey, we're going to get a little bit ahead of the chain, so we have a third and five, a third and six instead of a third and 13 against Alabama, we're going to be okay. But even with that, you know, we, we brought in Deshaun Hand last week, and he picked up a huge sack. And uh, so it, it it is, you know, with, with Tosh there, and, and, and perhaps from, from what I understand, he doesn't have the confidence in those guys to to play, them, play in and play out, you know, um, in only specialty situations. And unfortunately, those specialty situations have not uh, brought themselves to the forefront. Now, we're only three games in. And I fully expect, and from what I understand from talking to people, the coaching staff fully expects to expand that package more um, as we get on, you get into the Texas A&Ms and the other teams because we're gonna we're gonna need that pass rush and and Tim Williams can bring it and uh, and all those guys you know uh, Deshaun and, and all those guys can bring it. We just haven't had the flash off the edge in a long time, uh, and those guys can handle that. However, um, we've got to be able to get these defense or these offenses in situations where we're able to utilize those guys because we're not comfortable playing with a third and five um, when there's a when there's a, a play action or a chance for for a run game or, or you know a draw um, we're, we're not comfortable with those guys in in those situations you know an obvious third and thirteen yeah bring them in and let's rush but uh, otherwise it's uh, it just it just has not flourished at this point, but again, I, I think we're, we're we're only three games in. I do expect that package to expand, um, and, and we are hoping it expands. Believe me, uh, it, it will it will definitely help us out, not only depth wise, but getting those kids involved and getting because you can practice and you can play, and, and our coaching staff is as good as anybody. But there is no substitute for playing time and being out there on the field. And that's a great point, and a great point about the third and longs too, uh, Patrick and. And I wanted to talk about the secondary. I feel like, you know, there was a lot of talk in the press box about they hadn't improved uh, very much. I think they have. Uh, I think the middle areas, uh, we saw so many big plays last year via the, the long throw. I think they've, especially when you consider that you've got a true freshman as the dime back and Ronnie Harrison, another true freshman as the nickel back with Minka Fitzpatrick, and then, of course, a red shirt with Mark Humphrey. I think they've shown some progress, obviously, the middle era. Uh, with it, it was a big, it was at a uh, just a crucial time in the Ole Miss game, in the second half. But at the same time, Geno Smith was involved with that, losing contain, and he's a senior. So uh, they got to stop making mental errors at, the, at, at bad times. But I'm still excited about where the secondary is going. I think it's going to continue to get better. But I want to know what your thoughts are. I mean, I think you know I've been talking to the guys in the locker room. It seems like there's been less communication errors this year. Uh, but again, 
what is your thoughts uh, thus far in three games on how the secondary has performed? I feel great with the corners. I really do. I think with experience and time, we're going to be fine there. Um, you know, I, I think Marlon Humphrey is going to be a star before he leaves. Um, and I think, you know, next year, uh, Tony Brown's going to be inserted in the, into there. Uh, and, and he's going to get a lot of playing time. And right now he is, uh, he's eating it up on special teams. But, you know, the bottom line to me, Drew, is that Geno Smith has regressed. Uh, he has regressed um, from his freshman year to his sophomore year. And, and he's regressed – as he's gone along, and it's killing us. He was he was late on the cover two coverage last week that cost us a uh, a 28 yard gain to Treadwell. Um, you know he he is just he's just a step slow, and you know it's, it, he's healthy, um, but mentally it's not coming to him. And you know we've always had that big thumper safety. We don't have that this year. You know we've got some guys that are pretty much converted corners um, or that are sized to play corner. And now Eddie Jackson, that was a great move. The guy's a ball hawk. And uh, but we have, we do not have that thumper at safety that we've had in the past. And uh, and, that, and that's hurt us physically on defense this year. But uh, I think to me in the secondary, the corner play, you know, it doesn't concern me as much, uh, especially after last year. I think uh, anything is an improvement over that. Over that, and Mel has done a, an, an, an excellent job with those guys. Um, but Gino regressing just in the mental aspect, being a step slow, um, you know, you don't see that against Louisiana Monroe. You don't, you, you don't see that, you know, early in the season against uh, against Middle Tennessee State. You, you don't, you don't see that. But when you get in SEC play, one wrong step, uh, you know, one closed hip. And uh, it, it's 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 a difference, uh, you know. There's there's not a lot of Laquan, Laquan Treadwells and uh, and so forth out there. So, um, yeah, you know, that's been the key to to, to our defense uh, and to the secondary is uh, is Geno, and and he's got to step it up and he's got to make improvements because other than him, you know, he he he's got to play. Um, he he just with his experience. Um, he's got to come through for us, and there's, and that's been emphasized to him from what from everything I've heard here um, that he's got to, to to start making it happen sooner rather than later. Well, and Patrick, one more little thing with the secondary, and I, I, the word I got was that they weren't uh, happy with the progress he made in the spring and on into fall. But he passes the look test as he could be the thumper, but obviously uh, Hootie Jones has not developed as they'd hoped. Yes, Hootie has not, and you know I'm I'm, I'm disappointed in Maury Smith. I, I know when we signed him out of Texas, I had very very high hopes for him, uh, but he he gets lost and uh, he gets lost in coverage. Um, he he gets lost uh, in his eyes, and uh, to me he should be playing right now. Um, he's got all the physical tools, he's got the speed, uh, and he he's got the mental makeup. You know, uh, he, he's a sharp kid, but at the same time. He just – him not developing has hurt us as bad as, as anything. And uh, I, I had high hopes for him last year and I had very high hopes for him coming into this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, Hootie yeah, – I, I think Hootie's going to be okay. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his. I really do feel like he's going to be fine. I think he's been a little bit slower with picking up the defense than, than, than we, had, we had hoped um, with the calls and so forth. But um, – He's going to be there in the end. Um, he, he's going to be there. I, I'd give him another year before I, I write him off or recruit over him, uh, per se. And I hate to use that term, but 
uh, that's that's what what we do nowadays, and, and thank goodness for that. But um, so I am definitely not throwing in the towel on Hootie at this point. But um, you know, in order for success this year, and for if we have any hopes in running the table, uh, this secondary has to improve, and it all starts with Gino as the leader of that secondary back there. Well, Patrick, just kind of uh, piggybacking on that, if if Gino continues to struggle, and, and keeping in mind that there has been a bumper back there all the way to Mark Barron, uh, you, you know, ha-ha, mm-hmm. uh, Landon Collins, could it be time for some more playing time for Ronnie Harrison? Yeah, you know, uh, he, he is uh, an extremely talented kid, and, and it's not every day that you beat the University of North Carolina out for a uh, very talented kid, but we did, and that was a great job of scouting uh, out of Tallahassee. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, they aren't afraid to put him in, um, and, and I think we will see some time. The kid's a playmaker. Um, I believe he already has a block punt this year, and, um, yeah, you know, it, it, they, they, are, they will not – uh, they will not hesitate to make that change from everything I've heard, um, you know. But but he needs to continue to push him. He needs to continue to be consistent. And uh, it's a, it's a little different when you're 18 years old as opposed to 20 23. I believe Gino is and being able to physically hold up all year. You know, Ronnie's not the biggest guy in the world right now. Uh, you got plenty of size to play, but you know. Can he week in and week out be that guy, or is he a guy that we're going to kind of spot, you know, here and there because we're a little bit afraid of the, that the, the rigors of the season will get to him? But I, I do feel confident that we are not afraid to make that change, and uh, and Gino needs to know that, and I think he does know that, and I think that's been emphasized. It's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, if I had to pinpoint one player over the next two weeks, it would be Geno Smith. Um, I'd keep my eye on him and. Uh, you know, if it, 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 hopefully he makes he gets the message and steps it up, or if not, we will see Ronnie Harrison. All right. Well, final question. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this, since uh, you live in a basketball state. What is the impression uh, of the people you talk to and of you yourself of the job done thus far by Avery Johnson? <laughs> I was hoping you'd ask me some basketball, Kerry. Uh, you know, I, I miss Alabama. I get down there about six, seven times a year for games and to see family and so forth. Um, but, yes, it, it's uh, – it, it, people are taking a, a watch-and-see approach, especially when when you live, you know, three miles from Duke University and you live 11 miles from uh, UNC Chapel Hill. But they were they were shocked, you know. People were shocked thinking, well, gosh, this guy has led the Mavericks to the to the finals, you know. And, and the, the difference between him and Anthony Grant and – is just night and day. Um, Anthony's a great guy. He was a good guy to these kids. Um, you know, he, he wanted to do things the right way. And and Avery does too. But uh, how many times did you see Anthony Grant giving interviews um, on the side of the football field? How many times did you see uh, Anthony Grant uh, at the Belmont getting his picture made um, with people and with an Alabama shirt on. Uh, the way this guy has promoted the program, and he hasn't just started in Alabama. I mean, this guy's going all over and combing everybody, he combing every state he can comb to find guys that will, won't become play at the University of Alabama. That's the most impressive thing because as a new coach, whether it be football, basketball, whatever, you start inside and out. And, but this guy's not afraid to go anywhere. And his energy and his 
his love for what he does uh, just shines through to everybody. Not only that, but he has just absolutely uh, acquired a, an excellent staff. And, and Simon from Providence, I have a really good friend that was a, that is a Providence grad. Um, you know, he just called me in an uproar when Simon left. So he is. Uh, it's 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 amazing. It really is. I, I can't tell you how excited I am for basketball season, and that's it's the first time in a long time I can say that. So I'm glad you asked that question, Carrie. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna watch and see, and uh, it's gonna be something to behold. It really will. And well, Patrick, man, we really appreciate you joining us on Bounce for the first time. And I wanted to, to throw my two cents in as well. In the six months he's been here, or thereabouts, he's recruiting on a level that hasn't been seen at Alabama probably since. Uh, the salad days with Wimp, and it may even be uh, better than that when this is all said and done. The, the two kids he's got committed right now, one top five Juco, Terrence Ferguson, top ten overall, and then a couple of the other young men he's in the mix for. If he signs uh, Braxton Blackwell or even shocks the world for Marquise Bolden, uh, this could be uh, a top five class and maybe the best on paper in Alabama history, and that's just without coaching a game on the floor. So that's what should excite everyone. Yeah, great point. Great point, Drew. And and uh, I certainly do appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, hopefully, when we talk uh, next month, uh, we'll have some uh, some good recruiting news for you. And you know, Xavier McKinney committing today was a was a big time get in my opinion. Athletic, long type player, uh, and we need those. Uh, we need those. So uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to 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 bringing some more info to you all. And I I certainly enjoy listening to you. And, and thank you all for having me on. Absolutely, okay, Patrick. That's Patrick Walls. All right. on the internet or Twitter at uh, Walls98. You can follow him on Twitter at Walls98. And without further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring in another caller, a regular caller, to the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. And that is Colin Big C. McGuire of Greenville, Alabama, who I hope by now has recovered from the loss. But I know he's going to give us some great input on what he saw in Bryant-Denny Stadium this past Saturday. What's up, Big C.? Not much. Hey, Drew. Hey, Terry. Hey, before before you go on, Big C, I got you. Got to tell our listeners who probably didn't hear it. I was filled in by Steve Molson today. Big C called into the drive yesterday and had one of the funniest one-liners of the day. As to why uh, what he was? didn't go to church on tell everybody, Big C. Oh, the re- I told him I got home at three o'clock in the morning too late and I wasn't going to go to church and fall asleep in church and be snoring in church so I decided to stay home after church instead of go to church. Is that what I basically said there, big man? Yeah, you didn't want to snore in front of Jesus. That's right. That's right. But anyway... uh, I got news for you. I got news for you. When you were snoring at home, he was there too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, But I'd rather do it at the house instead of in front of us and other folks at church. But anyway... uh, Turnovers is what killed us, and what was bad is Alabama was 14th in the nation in turnover margin, and now because going five, uh, being five minus five instead of being on the plus side, is now 90, about 92 or 93 in turnover margin in the country. That that and another thing I didn't know this until reading the paper today. I did not know that um, it was six minutes left in the half before. Uh, Jake Coker came in on board, and it's like what a friend of mine made a, few, a comment a few minutes ago. It was like we were trying to climb out of a hole but couldn't get out. And then, you know, you had and you fumbled two kickouts. I think the, the tone of the game was set on open, losing the uh, ball, you know, the fumbling on the opening kickout, it seemed like to me. But 
the defense tightened up to force a field goal there, but then uh, then another one gave up. That was 10 points on the fumbled kickoff returns there. So, you know, and then they had that that, that bounce pass sort of reminded me of the 1978 Alabama-Southern Cal game. If you remember when Don McNeil tried to intercept the ball and it bounced out of his hands into the Southern Cal guy's hand. And what's sort of ironic when they that was at twenty fourth point like it was Saturday night. But we just never never could um never could catch up with them. And then looking back now, it's always hindsight's twenty twenty. With three minutes left in the game, why didn't they try to run uh Derrick Henry a few times? They had plenty of time and they had timeouts and uh, you gotta believe Ole Miss was gassed at the end of the game on defense. That's a great question. But um, they get the turn. I think they finally found the quarterback. I don't know. Y'all might disagree with me on that. Uh, I know at times he can be inconsistent, but that ought to. And then the team was they had an article in the Montgomery Advertiser. The team was uh, admired his uh, resiliency and his athleticism because of him making those runs the other night. So maybe they all gather around him and bind together and uh, and then this weekend and the following weekend beat Georgia and things will turn in the right direction. Well, Big C, I'll say this, you know, we had a question on Twitter about the play calling and is Lane Kiffin running the show? Well, I think in the last couple weeks, Saban's always given Kiffin some leeway and uh, he's let him, you know, call his game, but I think based upon what Coach Saban has said this week in the media, about not having an identity and playing and wanting their uh, the offensive line to dominate the line of scrimmage, there's no doubt uh, that they, they're not happy or he's not happy with the play calling and some of the decisions. Patrick Walls brought up the fact that it actually was a second and goal from the three where they tried to speed sweep it to Robert Foster and, uh, or excuse me, Calvin Ridley, and we lost eight yards and uh, ended up with a minus eight and ended up having to kick a short field goal uh, but, again, mm-hmm. I do think that they're going to get back to ground and pound. I will be beyond shocked based upon what I saw Saturday and the results of the first – and you made up a great point about the first quarter and a half basically running in the mud. That's what I called it. Uh, instead of, you know, it's, it's the old Bill Parcells quote, you are what you are. Well, this year this team is not a spread team. They don't have three veteran receivers. They don't have an athletic quarterback. They need to go back to what Patrick Wallace talked about, and that's pound, 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 and play action. And they did that for the most part against Wisconsin. It was a great game plan. Well, Lane Kiffin has gotten away from it for two weeks, and if Lane Kiffin wants to salvage this season and salvage his career, because the bottom line is his career is on the, on the uh, chopping block if this doesn't go well, because he's already been fired from the Raiders in a weird way, uh, was basically fired coming off the bus at the Southern Cal as head coach, he did a great job last year, but that's last year. If he cannot, you know, build a cohesive plan around this group and start trying to fit square pegs in round holes, then Lane Kiffin, no matter what his last name is, is going to have to is going to take a, a, a step or two down and stop getting these big time gigs. So he needs to save mm-hmm. this season himself. There's a lot at stake for Lane Kiffin as well. And from this point forward, hopefully there will be a cohesive plan. Or we, I don't know how much more we'll see of Lane Kiffin, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Well, okay. I want to answer this too, real quick, Big C. Um, 
the problem is, looking at the past two game plans, we're getting into the part of the schedule where there is no margin for error. If True. Alabama goes in to Athens and does what they did against Ole Miss, I disagree with Patrick. I mean, he, had, he brought some great info, but I disagree. I think Georgia's a better team, and it's in Athens. Georgia could beat Alabama by 14 points. If if they if Alabama screws around, Alabama could look squarely at something like a blowout. Yes, Alabama's a good football team. But if the Grayson Lambert that showed up against South Carolina shows up against Alabama, just buckle up. Alabama can't get into a score fest if that Lambert shows up. And mm-hmm. it's not like it gets any easier from there. So, like, we're looking at it, and you have to decide what Alabama is. And you don't have any more time to screw around with quarterbacks or screw around with finding identity, it has to be there. Because at this point, if it isn't, you're losing even more games and the season spins itself apart. In other words, Alabama turns into what Auburn's have turned into. But anyway, that was, I just wanted to jump in and answer your question. Well, that's all right. Well, I think, I think what they need to do is do like what LSU's doing with that quarterback, with, our, with uh, Coker, and just go from there. Yeah, what now? Oh, some of that there. Don't put the whole game plan on his back and throw twenty to twenty-five times. Right. Yeah. Well, big That's city. Right. Don't need appreciate you calling. Uh, we're up against the break right now, and then we got another caller coming in at ten after. But uh, we will holler at you next week, and I'll just text you about Friday. Thank you okay, for calling. Okay. Thanks. Uh, See you. All right. See y'all. Bye. Right. Calling Big C McGuire, Greenville, Alabama. See you later. Thank you, Big C. On that note. We're going to uh, go ahead and take our one and only break of the evening. Uh, You're listening to BAMS Radio, a member of the BAMA Sports Radio family.
studio in Mobile, he of Touchdown, Alabama magazine. And uh, we had a very interesting, entertaining first hour, and I think hour two will be just as good, if not better. Uh, We'll be joined in a few minutes by John Garcia of Scout.com to tell us about today's commitment and all the visitors that occurred this past weekend. But before we do that, Drew, uh, let's talk a little bit about the basketball commitment Avery Johnson got tonight one of the top junior college guards, originally from the state of Washington. He plays high school ball in the Tacoma area. He's playing at the uh, College of Southern Idaho in, in junior college. Armand Davis, what do we know about him? Well, he's, uh, again, one of the top five JUCOs in the country, Kerry. Uh, very rangy and athletic kid, big-time finisher at the rim, but can also shoot the basketball. Uh, he was committed uh, to Josh Pastner in Memphis, until just recently, and Alabama had brought him in on an official visit this past weekend from great friend Garrett Tucker. Uh, he had he gave me some intel Saturday that uh, of Hoopscene.com that Alabama had worked out Armand on the visit and everything had gone very, very well. And it looked like that they were going to be able to very, very likely pull Armand Davis and that they had made big-time headway with him. And then uh, he didn't commit during the weekend, but uh, he went public today and it looked like he was going to go public a little earlier in the afternoon, but the Texas Longhorns of Chaka Smart had offered and turned his head a little bit. But I think he realizes he's going to be able to play at Alabama quickly. They don't really have a two-guard, a pure two-guard on the roster. And another thing, too, in my opinion, if they can get the right pieces, uh, this may close the door on Kobe Eubanks because with Kobe not getting in school, they had planned to sign three. They can sign as many as four, and if they can get the right guys for you know the 2016 class, I think that uh, they will, and I think they'll try to sign. As we mentioned with Patrick Walls, Braxton Blackwell, Marquise Bolden, I think they'll try to sign four, but we'll see. It just depends on if it's the right guys. Yep, and by the way, uh, we had originally planned to have Hannah Chalker of Crimson Tide Sports yeah. Marketing in the first hour, the reason that Hannah could not join us tonight is that she was asked to uh, go on TV and do play-by-play for Bama Volleyball tonight. And they got a big win. They lost the first set 25-21. They came back and rallied to win 25-17, 25-16, 25-20 over Mississippi State at home last night. That's why Hannah was not with us. But she will be coming back uh, very soon on the show, perhaps as early as next week. But without further ado, joining us now on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check them out on the web at bigheadsbbq.net. Thanks for the great barbecue this past week. Chuck Peake, it was awesome at the Bams Radio Tent. 
But right now I'm joined by uh, Mr. John Garcia, my cohort at Scout.com and BamaMag.com. I was privileged to join John earlier today on his podcast, Crimson and Blue Chips, where I made a prediction that looked like it was going to come true and then not come true, and then it did come true about Armand Davis, who Drew and I just got through discussing. But, John, welcome into BAMS Radio. Always good to have you. Absolutely, fellas. Yeah, a big day for Alabama on the hardwood and then obviously on the gridiron as well. Talk yeah, a little bit about our gridiron commitment today uh, from Wildswell, Georgia. Yeah, Xavier McKinney, he's he's a, a classic safety, which is a good thing. Obviously, this, this class right now that Alabama is working on 2016, there's going to be either one or maybe zero prospects at that classic free safety type position. Right now, Josh Perry is uh, filling that spot. So, obviously, going forward, it's going to be a need. You expect Bama to take more than one in that 2017 class. So, you get off. Uh, to a good start with Xavier McKinney, 6'1", 185. Again, like you said, out of Roswell, Georgia, a, a good school with a lot of prospects in that 2017 class. Lee Anthony Williams is a cornerback that Alabama likes in that same secondary, so that'll be a storyline to watch. But in terms of Xavier, a lot to like about him. He's got natural ball skills, which I think are, are an undervalued aspect of evaluating safety, so that's good. He takes very good angles. He runs pretty well. Maybe not as physical at this point as you may like, and maybe we're a little spoiled in watching the last few years of Alabama safeties, guys like uh, Sean Burgess Becker, Sean Darius Jennings, other commitments, big physical safeties. He is not that at this point, but, again, he's got great length at 6'1", 185, so you expect him to continue to add weight a little bit uh, over the next year and a half before he ends up uh, beginning his Alabama career. So there's a lot to like about him with his size, with his frame, and obviously – uh, Bama saw that this summer when they offered him a scholarship, and he's visited several times since that point. So that all sort of worked out today, and he gave Kirby Smart the good news uh, earlier in the day and, and went public with it uh, just about uh, two hours ago. So uh, we had everyone else had it first, of course, but uh, Xavier decided to himself uh, later in the day. So a big gift for Alabama. This is a guy they targeted and have wanted since the summer. Uh, so it's always good to see it work out, especially – when you're talking about a state like Georgia in an area uh, like Roswell, which is just outside of Atlanta. Yeah, and John, speaking of Atlanta and speaking of Peachtree High School, been uh, seeing some rumblings this week, and uh, we've talked about him on the show, but you talked about uh, the safety position in the 2016 class. I think we know that the top target for Alabama is Nigel Warrior. Uh, been hearing that uh, Alabama may have surged again with him. They've always been up there, but Tennessee, with his father, Dale Carter, having played there, has also been heavily mentioned. And, I, and Georgia, of course, being in that state. But just talk about Nigel. And uh, I know he's a guy Kirby Smart has coveted. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, another Georgia guy, Pete Ridge High School, just a ridiculously loaded secondary. They've got five-star junior D'Angelo Gibbs there as well, and Chad Clay, a four-star as well. So they're loaded, but he's – the ringleader, and he's the brains behind the operation. That's what my favorite thing about him is. Maybe the smartest defensive back I've seen in the class of 2016, just a cerebral kid. But like you mentioned, Bama has always sort of been in it, but they hadn't really jumped to the forefront. Uh, certainly not number one, two, or three for him. But uh, the biggest reason why, uh, at least what we think, is because he hadn't been to campus as much. I believe this is only his second or third trip to Tuscaloosa, so he took that on Saturday. And the hope here, because uh, he's a guy who's going to let this thing stretch all the way through. I, I don't think he's even whittled down his list 
uh, beyond the top ten at this point. You know, so Nigel's going to take all five official visits. So you hope that the atmosphere Saturday night, and if it goes along with what literally every other prospect has said, it was good enough uh, to land him on the official visit list at some point later in the cycle. That November 7th game against LSU, as we all thought, you know, preseason, is shaping up to be that big official visit weekend for top commitment and top targets. So I would imagine if they can't get them in there in December or January, which is, 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 you know, priority number one, then that November 7th game against LSU could be a targeted official visit date for a guy like Nigel Warrior. A lot of commitments will be in town, and it will be similar to this Ole Miss atmosphere that has had kids raving uh, no matter where they're from. Uh, So getting him on campus has always been priority one and sort of hurdle number one for Alabama. So they obviously were able to do that on Saturday. We mentioned the other guys, you know, from his area and from his his program specifically, they also were able to visit uh, on Saturday. So certainly did not hurt Alabama's chances for him since the biggest hurdle was getting him on campus. So certainly uh, the priority name uh, to to monitor going forward. Get back to McKinney, a a fun fact about him is he goes to Roswell High School, which is also a school that's attended by the – stepdaughters of Atlanta Falcon defensive end or outside linebacker Troy Bierman, who had a big strip sack of Eli Manning this past week. And uh, anybody that watches that part of reality TV, like I sadly have to admit, uh, knows that. So anyway, but getting back to this uh, atmosphere you were talking about, John, uh, Alabama obviously made a move on McKinney, but also it, it seems that a lot of other people were very impressed by what they saw. Uh, who would you say Alabama made up the most ground with this past weekend? That's tough. Uh, I think Dexter Lawrence is in the conversation. He's a guy who won't say much, and you probably won't hear one quote out of him, you know, beyond this week. I actually was trying to, uh, believe it or not, uh, take a visit to his school this week, could not get it set up. That's how under wraps he keeps things uh, over uh, in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, But Dexter is a kid who has been to Bama now several times, um, despite not having visited any other school more than once outside of the Tar Heel State. So that alone was probably going to help Alabama immensely for his commitment or his eventual possible commitment, I should say. Uh, but the difference here was was strategy. And I think what Nick Saban does with his recruiting is he's so organized. You, you get top prospects on campus, and that's great. But you've got to get their entourage. you got to get their comfort level. Get the people around them on campus as well. So not only – did Dexter travel from Wake Forest, North Carolina, to Tuscaloosa, but his younger brother, Devin, who has an Alabama offer as a 2018 running back, he ended up taking the visit as well. And not only those two, but two other Wake Forest high school teammates of those guys ended up making the trip to Tuscaloosa as well. So when you get a shy kid like Dexter, who's not big with the media, not big on opening up as much, you do two things that have really resonated with him. One, you surround him with people close to him. That's what Bama did this time, and then two, you you go outside of the box, and that's what Bama did the last time they had him on campus, which was for that uh, that Champions Cookout there at the end of the summer, and that's where he was able to open up, eat some good barbecue, uh, and certainly do a little more laid-back uh, recruiting trip as opposed to the uh, standard unofficial visit. So I think getting Dexter Lawrence on campus was absolutely uh, important and, and critical for Alabama, especially considering the other Lawrence, Rashard Lawrence, unable to make the trip. He ended up going to LSU instead. So the Lawrences are still the two defensive tackles to keep the closest eye on. So I would say the biggest mover for Alabama, probably Dexter Lawrence, and if they had to plan it out beforehand, 
that would have been the guy they would have picked anyway. And John, uh, speaking of impact guys, it, it, it's still going to be very tough. And I know they're going to have to continue. It's going to be like chopping wood, but it was big to get Jeffrey Simmons back on campus. Rodney Orr spoke a little bit about the interview they had with him, but his stock has continued to skyrocket. And, uh, you get him on campus, Terrell Hall, and Janarius Robinson. So I don't know if they have room for all those guys, but getting two out of three of them would be huge. Yeah, and they could all be competing for the same Jack linebacker spot for all we know at this point. I know Jeff Simmons, there's been some talk about him being on the board as a true defensive end because he's gotten so much bigger. But Obviously, that screen of versatility, which is what Alabama wants anyway. We've long talked about Khalid Kareem, who was on an official visit, by the way. Is he a defensive end? Is he a jack? Bama right now thinks he's a jack and considers Jeff to be a defensive end, but I could very well see those guys flip-flopping if they both end up signing with the Crimson Tide. So getting Jeff on campus was, was absolutely big. I would imagine he is number one on the board, whether it's at defensive end or at jack linebacker. Even if it fluctuates, I would imagine he would stay at number one for Alabama. So anytime you get him on campus, it's considered big. He's from Mississippi. We all know uh, what that means beyond uh, the, the generic layer of the recruiting process. And then, as you mentioned, Janarius Robinson um, and Terrell Hall, two guys currently committed slash formerly committed to big-time national powers but have always taken visits to Tuscaloosa. Janarius specifically, uh, he's been to Bama maybe five or six times. Uh, and then Hall now probably make his, making his third visit to Tuscaloosa. And most importantly for Bama here, he brought his family to Tuscaloosa. And, again, this was for an unofficial visit. And we're getting into that point of, of the recruiting process in the fall where official visits become extremely critical. Bama was the leader for Hall going into the weekend. He brings his family. They are all impressed. So now you imagine if there's a commitment timetable for him, it could very well come whenever that official visit uh, is officially scheduled. So Terrell Hall still the guy to keep the eye, the closest eye on in terms of a possible commitment, but certainly Robinson has shown a ton of interest visiting Bama so many times. And as you mentioned, uh, Jeff Simmons' stock continues to rise, and that's reflected on Alabama's board. They probably can't take all three, maybe not even two of the three at the end of the day, uh, but certainly all guys who are currently four stars on scout.com right now, uh, ones to watch extremely closely down the process. John, who in your estimation, and I'm speaking now only about the class of 16, but who in your estimation should be on commitment watch right now? It's a good one, Kerry. I think Trevon Diggs is always a candidate for this. He's pushed his commitment up, back, left, right, up and down uh, many times uh, here in the class of 2016. Uh, Another one, sticking at the wide receiver position, I think Michael Jones could very well make a commitment at any point. That is not the plan, uh, but, again, plans often change. And, and Nigel Knott is still another one as well. He planned to make his commitment today originally, September 23rd. However, he decided to push it back a little bit. There's not really a word as to how far back he, he, ha- he is going to make uh, that announcement date. And remember, he's one who's talked about making his commitment and still taking all of his official visits after that point, he's only taken one so far, and it was this past weekend to the University of Oregon. So I think Nigel Knott could very well come off the board here in the next week or two if he sort of wakes up and, and feels inclined to do so. So he's on the short list of, of cornerback prospects for Alabama. So tangibly, he's seemingly the one who could be the closest because he was going to do it today. Um, but we've seen this game before, particularly with Trevon Diggs. I was, I was somewhat surprised 
that Bama didn't get a commitment in the class of 2016 on Saturday. I thought a guy like Kevin Ridley could be ready to pull the trigger. The Florida Gators are fading for him, and I thought they were a legit threat to Alabama, of course, where his older brother Calvin plays. With the Gators falling out of the picture, I would be extremely surprised if he ended up anywhere but Tuscaloosa. John, speaking of wide receivers and Kevin, Kevin, really, I'm glad you brought him up. You know, I was told earlier tonight uh, that Amon Richards could be up the board as well, but I, I still think that there's a chance because other because of a guy like Raekwon Davis, in my opinion, flipping to another school. Uh, heard today that could easily happen to Mississippi State. Uh, I could see them taking three receivers because I think A.J. Brown is near near the top, if not the top of the board, and then they, I think they're in – a really good shape with Toss Deploy with Keith Gavin, and those two guys are bigger, stronger receivers. And then to take someone like Kevin Ridley, who's a little bit different style, uh, I could see them uh, taking three more receivers. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I completely agree, Drew. And I think if you take four total, because, of course, T.J. Simmons on board right now, that fourth guy to me, just playing you know, fake GM or whatever you want to call it, the fourth guy to me has got to be a versatile guy, a guy who you can bulk up and move to a different position, possibly play a little bit of defense. So that's where X-Factor receivers come in, like Gavin, who you mentioned, who's 6'4", 228. And a lot of teams like him as an outside linebacker. But Bama right now has him on the board as a wide receiver. I could easily see him committing, redshirting, and ending up as, as a 6'5", 240-pound Jack linebacker, you know, in two seasons. So he's one – that I think could fill that fourth X-factor spot. And Bama is, feels very confident uh, for him right now, and even, even did so when he was committed to Florida State. And, by the way, surprising news with him, the Noles back in it with him a little bit. That's something I hadn't anticipated. I'm hearing that Florida State's making more of a push to get him on the commitment list once again, so that's something to watch down the road, and, and it could possibly slow down his next commitment timetable. Um, but as you mentioned, Trevon Diggs is another one. I think he could be that fourth guy. He's a very good cornerback. Saw him play it out in Oregon at the opening. He's long and lean. He's got that Eddie Jackson body uh, going for him, and we've seen Eddie play safety and corner now at Alabama. So that could be something intriguing for the coaching staff. So I think you won't take four traditional receivers who can't play anything else, but if that fourth guy, Gavin, uh, Diggs, uh, even a guy like Ty Young out of Miami who doesn't get as much pub as some of these other wide receivers, he's another that can play cornerback uh, at the SEC, ACC level. He's one to keep an eye on. And Armand Richards, another one. I mean, he plays very, very, very solid safety right now uh, at his high school out of the state of Florida. I just think it's a little harder for Bama to flip a guy like that right now. But, again, when you're committed to Miami, it's always something to watch closer to signing day because you just never know with Al Golden, with uh, the Hurricanes program, what could change uh, really? And, John, one real one other thing real quick with Gavin. Do you think there's a chance – you already talked about his size. We've seen Justin Johnson do this from Hoover going to Mississippi State and already getting on the field. Do you think there's a chance Gavin could end up at tight end? Yeah, I mean, he's got the frame for it. You know, if he's 228 as a high school senior, very early in the senior year, I can't imagine – the weight he could possibly put on once he gets into a consistent strength and nutrition program. Like I said, if he could end up as a 240-pound Jack linebacker, he could easily end up as a 245-pound tight end. And tight end, you know, that third spot has been talked about as well. Will there be a third tight end taken? I think, uh, obviously, Nick Eubanks has been uh, plenty in the news, and he's got a similar body to that right now. He's only about 6'4", 
35 or so. So if Bama is looking to take that type of guy, I think Gavin could be in the mix there. It's He's one of those guys you just you get him on the commitment list, you sign him, and then when he gets you know to your facility for, for January or for fall camp, whenever he's scheduled to arrive, you just sort of figure it out there at the back end, sort of like a Shaheen Carter type, uh, sort of like many guys we've seen Alabama uh, take in in the past, almost like Bo Scarborough. You just get him in, and then you see where you might need him and, and where he develops in the next year or so, and you kind of go from there. John, any uh, updates or, or new names or movement among names in the 2016 class for either inline tight end or left tackle? Not a whole lot, Kerry. Uh, I think, you know, Tremonte Moore is sort of the secondary name to keep a close eye on, and he was scheduled to visit Alabama Saturday. He ended up not. He stayed home and went to a closer visit, but he has said he's taking an official visit to Tuscaloosa, and he's I think he's like every top uh, lineman not named Greg Little. I think he's waiting to see what Greg Little's going to do. You know, he he spoke to him at Arlington. He was at uh, Jerry World for that Bama-Wisconsin game, and, and Tremonde spoke to Greg a little bit about the process, a little bit about their situations, and, and they're both aware of each other and, and obviously <laughs> more and more well of Greg than the other way around. So I think like, like Alabama, like all these teams are waiting to see what Greg Little does because he says so little. You know, he's going to take an official visit to Auburn this coming weekend. That's somewhat surprising news in general uh, because most people figured it was a Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Bama battle. So Auburn could very well jump into the mix uh, much more than we thought with Greg Little. Uh, so Texas A&M is going to be there. We know Ole Miss, Bama, LSU. So uh, this very well could stretch beyond that November 4th commitment date. So official visits with Greg Little going to be the hottest topic with any offensive lineman. And I think Bama, like many programs, are sort of going to see where they stand there and then move on. So Tremonde Morris is sort of the number two guy. He's one of the hotter offensive line recruits in the country. He's got a similar frame to Greg Little, just not as polished at this time. So I think he's going to wait to see what Little does. And, and you, me, Bama, Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, all these schools will probably do the same. And John, think that, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Kerry. Uh, I was just, no, you're I was good. Just, Go ahead. I was just going to ask John uh, about uh, uh, someone because we're going to have an interview with his father. We're going to play it uh, after your segment. What are your thoughts thus far on Jalen Hurts and his production? Uh, Channel Views, I think they scored 82 points last week. Uh, he's putting <laughs> yeah. up video game type numbers as a dual threat quarterback, both through the air and on the ground. Uh, do you see his rating going up with scout.com? Because to me, and I love Trent Dilfer and what they do and George Whitfield, but it it seems obvious to me that he wasn't in the Elite 11 and should have been. Yeah, you know, it's it's so, you know, subjective. It's how those guys look that week. No pads on, no pass rush, you know, no pressure really besides what they create there out in Oregon. And like you said, it's a great event, but it's, it's something that you should just take a, a, with a grain of salt. It's just part of the evaluation process. Um, like Josh Rosen didn't beat out Blake Barnett for the Elite 11 MVP last year, but look what he's doing right now at UCLA. Uh, so I think it's just a small a small sample size of what some of these kids can do. And let's be honest, Jalen Hurts is not a big, strong, 6'5", pocket-passing type of guy. Now, I do believe he's more of a pocket passer than a runner, which is a misconception surrounding him. This is a coach's son, kid who's been in the same system for a very long time. He is a point guard out there. He is a floor general uh, and he's leading this class of 2016 among the Bama commitments as well. Again, I said this on my podcast today, just because you don't hear about it as much as you did last year 
with Blake Barnett, who just had one of the hottest summers uh, that I've ever seen in covering recruiting, we don't hear about it as much with Jalen Hurts because he's not that type of guy, but it doesn't mean he's not recruiting just as much as Blake Barnett did for Alabama and that he's not leading the class just as much as Blake Barnett did a season ago. So I think that's one misconception around him. The second one I just mentioned, he's more of a pocket passer than a scrambler. Now, the difference is that when he does get outside the pocket, he's got very good speed and can make things happen. Got got that Blake Sims in him when he is in the open field can make a guy miss, can can use speed uh, at the top end as well. But he wants to stay in the pocket and throw the football. So I think his size detracted him a lot from the Elite 11 and the initial evaluation surrounding him. He was a three-star on scout for a long time, but there in the spring, early summer, uh, Greg Powers came around a little bit and said, you know what, he's a top 300 guy in this country. So right now he's in that 295 range overall regardless of position. I could see that going up more. Greg's very good out in, in the Midlands in the state of Texas. He's a very patient evaluator. So I could see Hertz uh, improving just a bit. I don't, I don't see five-star status like we saw with Blake Barnett. And again, I think it's because of that. The sort of initial thing with quarterback size, arm strength, delivery, traditional nature, I mean, those guys get a fifth star more times than not. But I think Jalen has a lot to like, and, and there's a big reason why he's the only quarterback in Alabama's class of 2016. There were flirtations with other guys. There's still a little bit of talk with other guys right now, but there's a reason he's the guy in the class of 2016. John, we want to thank you for your time. That was an excellent segue to our next uh, segment, which is going to be an interview that Drew did a couple weeks ago with Coach Hurts. But thank you so much for joining us tonight on BAMS Radio. John Garcia of Scout.com and BAMAMag.com. We look forward to having you on again soon. He dropped John Garcia. No problem. <laughs> No problem. That's cool. Well, Drew, we're, we're going to go ahead and let you introduce this next segment because uh, we we heard some great things about Jalen Hurts there, but I believe you have got a conversation with his father you'd like to tell us about and let us hear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had uh, on, my, on my show Talking Ball in 97.7 The Zone a couple weeks ago before their week three game with Vider, and they have now since uh, won two more games. They, they routed Vider, and then uh, they also – uh, ended up, but they won uh, this past weekend as well. And as we were talking about it with John, uh, they, scored, they scored 82 points against Al Dean, uh, and to, with with Jalen Hurts having 226 yards and two touchdowns through the air, and he he ran for 166 and three more. And he's been averaging, you know, over 200 plus yards per game passing, well over 100 yards rushing. Uh, he's putting up, you know, eye popping numbers. And as his dad said, Avery on Hurts, the head coach at Channel View who's also an alum of the school, he's been there about nine years now building that program, and he said, you know, we still haven't turned him loose yet. In other words, what he's saying, he hasn't played four quarters. And uh, they play in a very tough district, uh, but I was able to sit down and to lead off our show and talk to Avery on Hurst a couple weeks ago, and he gave us some insight into Jalen Hurts, the 2016 quarterback commit for the University of Alabama, and here's that conversation. Uh, we're going to be honored to be joined now by one of the top football coaches in that state, the Channel, Channel View High School head football coach, Avrion Hurts. Coach Hurts, how are you? Fine and you. Fine and you. Doing really well. Coach, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we know you have a big home game tonight against Vidor High School uh, as your team is 2-0, and and we want to congratulate you, first of all, on the first two wins. Uh, your team seems to be playing at a very high level. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you all for having me. 
Yes, sir. And uh, it's your ninth year at uh, Channel View High School. And uh, just, I guess, kind of uh, give uh, my listeners who aren't as familiar with your background, kind of give a little bio of yourself and how you got to this point in your career. Oh, well, I started back, I guess, in 96. Um, mm-hmm. Started coaching in Aldine down in Houston. Uh, spent six mm-hmm. years at Aldine MacArthur. And then I spent four years uh, in the suburbs on the east side of Houston in Baytown, uh, Baytown Lee High School. And then I was fortunate enough to get the head job at my alma mater and came back to Channel View. Yeah, I was noticing that you are a 1986 graduate of Channel View High School, so it has to be special to you to come back to your alma mater and help build this program up uh, to one of the best and uh, one of the most talent-rich states in the in the country. Uh, you know, it's a great opportunity. Um, you know, it's 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 a job, but it's a tough job. But you know, the kids play hard, and and we're happy for their success. Yeah, and, and talk about your fast start. I mean, obviously. Uh, your football team off to a 2-0 and start, as we said, uh, a 57-21 opening week win over Dayton. Uh, and, and just I know there was high expectations going into this year, obviously, with your son, Jalen Hurts, being uh, your quarterback and uh, being the leader of your football team. But how, how have you been – Have you what, what are your thoughts on your team's performance thus far? Um, you know, it's a – we were kind of in a situation last year, and I guess that's when we found out that the quarterback could play a little bit. But um, it's a case where coming in, you know, we we had expectations. The kids worked really hard and they had goals set. And so, you know, we expected to be at this point, um, you know, we're playing really well on both sides of the ball right now. So we're just hoping to continue. Absolutely. And, and uh and obviously uh you you guys also uh, beat South Houston last week uh 56 to 15 so uh, your son Jalen uh, is a high profile recruit is committed to the University of Alabama uh he's obviously off to a quick start uh, put up some eye popping numbers uh, just kind of talk about his evolution and his journey as a player under your under your guidance um you know he's a very diligent young man he takes pride in his work, and, you know, he's put in a lot of hard work to be in the situation that he's in. And so, you know, coming into the season, you know, he has some some goals that the, he and his teammates have set. And, you know, right now we're just trying to take it one game at a time and achieve those goals. And then and talk about, uh, you know, he, he's put up, he put up some really good numbers uh, last year, 2,500 yards passing, uh, almost 1,000 yards rushing. Uh, 21 passing touchdowns, 19 rushing TDs. In 2013, I know he played on a part-time basis and did a really good job for you. But how has he improved over his three seasons in your program as a player? Uh, you know, he's my first three-year starter at quarterback, actually. And you know, okay. sophomore year, he led us. To, you know, we went four and six. We started off four and zero, oh, and we got into a tough district schedule with a lot of young kids. And you know, the thing that we knew was that it was going to be a maturation process for him at quarterback. And so as mm-hmm. the games got tougher, you know, he had to mature and grow in them. And, you know, once we got midway through the season, he started to really take off and develop. You know, it's kind of a deal with, you know, he's a he's a passing first quarterback that just happens to be athletic enough to run. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of it wasn't, it wasn't a need to run him. He'd run when he felt, you know, like running because he's a quarterback. And so as the year went on and he felt more comfortable, 
you know, the thing that they say with quarterbacks is the game slows down the longer right. you play it. And so, you know, sophomore year, he had a good year. He showed promise. You know, going into his junior year, the game, you know, had really slowed down for him. And he understood what we were trying to get done, um, go through his progression. And, you know, he's, you know, at any given night, he's going to be one of the better athletes on the field. And so, you know, when there's an opportunity to run or if we do call a, a run play, you know, he understands how to run, get what he can get, get out of bounds. You know, he's a, he's a true quarterback. He's not trying to run anybody over and, and those things, but he does have the ability to, you know, get to the house if he if he takes off. And there's no question about that. Just from looking at his stats, the the, the first two uh, weeks, and of course last season, uh, he definitely is a, a dual threat guy. But that, that is a, the thing that struck me from watching film of him, Coach. As you can tell, he's someone uh, that goes through his progressions, and he's very he has a strong arm, but he's very very accurate with the football. And in my opinion, the two most important aspects of being a top flight QB are accuracy and decision making. And of course, uh, under your tutelage. He looks to be making uh, excellent progress, and he looks to be uh, advancing well in those stages. Yes, sir, he is. You know, he's matured well, and, you know, I think he's taking the next step, you know, going into his senior year. And, you know, he's been to a lot of camps and talked to a lot of coaches, and, you know, it's kind of a deal where you take the good with the bad, you know, kind of like going to church. You take the word and apply it, you know, and he's, uh, you know, worked on the things that he needed to work on, and, and, you know, he's, you know, off to a good start. We really hadn't, you know, we've been playing much better defensively this year. So his stats mm-hmm. really aren't as high yet as they were last year because, you know, we kind of, you know, been fortunate enough to be in, in control of a couple of games fairly early where he didn't need to play. And so, you know, get some younger kids in, get some more reps and, you know, save him for down the road. Yeah, and, and talk about offensively the kind of system you you run, Coach. Uh, for for people that may not have watched film of Jalen or, uh, of course, had seen your program play, what kind of uh, offensive scheme and what is your philosophy as far as uh, what, what with what you're teaching Jalen? Well, uh, it's it's kind of a it, it's a basically a system derived from some of the old Hal Mummy, the air raid stuff that A and M and Tech mm-hmm. and all those guys do. Um, we're a no huddle team that. You know, sometimes we get out there and we don't have the best athletes, so we have to find an equalizer and we try to play fast and, and those kind of things. And we're fortunate now that, you know, we have some, some you know, pretty good linemen, we have some, some good skilled kids, and we have a pretty good quarterback that understands our system. So that allows us, you know, our advantage to play fast and make good decisions. And, you know, the biggest thing with him is he understands that as a quarterback, you know, he's supposed to be, you know, a – distributor of the ball and a protector mm-hmm. of the ball. And so those are, the, you know, the key things that we try to stress with him, you know, make good decisions, you know, and then you'll be okay. And so, you know, we're kind of an up-tempo, no-huddle team, um, but we still try to keep some, you know, pro principles. But, you know, we try to play fast. And obviously you've seen him evolve as a player, uh, both and, of course, uh, off the field as well. But as far as uh, being a, a kid that started as a sophomore in the state of Texas, obviously it's a big-time high school football there. How has he evolved as a leader for you over the last couple of years? You know, he was fortunate enough, uh, 
you know, my oldest son, um, you know, he's a junior at Texas Southern and plays quarterback. And so he mm-hmm. was a ball boy, and he got to watch and see how that evolved. And, you know, so when he came in as a freshman, you know, physically he was big enough to play varsity, and, and he was good enough. And we played him up for a couple of games, but then we moved him back down because, you know, we were trying to keep his group together and let them experience some success. And so but his goal was to play varsity as a freshman. And he could have did it, but then being a coach's son, you have to deal with some political aspects. So we sent him back down. Um, you know, so he watched and he matured. And, you know, the thing with him is as he's progressed, you know, he's a student of the game, so he understands mm-hmm. the game. And, you know, but he Jalen's a, a quiet kid. He's not into social media. He reads it and does all that. But he just doesn't, you know, tweet, I'm going to the bathroom or I'm going, you know, what I'm having for lunch, that kind of deal. He doesn't he doesn't really right. care for all of that attention. But he understands the the platform that he's on. But the the biggest thing that he's he's done, you know, he's become a more vocal leader. You know, he's always led by example. You know, he's you know, he was our strong he's the strongest kid in our program. Um, you know, he works really hard and, and, and a lot of that was stuff that, you know, you would say is instilled young but at some point it becomes what that person wants to do. And so Jerry right. figured out at an early age what he wanted to do. And so those are the things that he's doing. And so he just, you know, he's he's more vocal now. You know, he's, you know, he doesn't like a lot of the, you know, he's he's been afforded, and I think he won player of the week for one of the channel, one of the TV stations this week. But, you know, he likes it when, the team gets awards, not just him, because he clearly understands that he's not out there by himself, and he wants his, his teammates to be recognized with him. So he's he's a mature young man. He's become more vocal leader, and he definitely is always led by example. And what would you say? Uh, you, you obviously have talked about that he's a a pro style quarterback that happens to have the athleticism to run. What are in your mind his his true strengths as a player? I mean, you know, I think he can he can make pretty much every throw. You know, he he has a big arm. Um, he's accurate. But, you know, in today's game with kids being, you know, so much faster, he has the ability to to extend plays with his feet. Plus, if he has to run, he has the ability to hurt your running. So, you know, it's a it's a defensive, you know, coordinator's nightmare. When you know you can cover some guys and you rush, and next thing you know, a guy breaks a tackle or, or loses a rush, and then he takes off, you know, for big yardage on you. So it, it's always a threat when you have a kid back there that you know can make those throws, but he also can take off and run when he has to. Mm-hmm. And and also your son's recruiting process, obviously. Uh, as you said, he started to come into his own as a junior. He went to a lot of camps, and he was recruited by a lot of the big-time programs in, in America. But And, and, and obviously quarterbacks uh, with, are, are committing earlier and earlier in the process. Uh, what was – and Jalen decided to make his decision. I know when he went out to the Elite 11 in Los Angeles to make it public. When did he uh, kind of talk about the process he went through in choosing a school and when did he truly become uh, certain that Alabama would be his choice? Well, you know, in the beginning, 
he was soaking it up. He was visiting school. He was doing his research on everyone, just like they were on him. And so, you know, after a while, it became it clear to him. And you know, A and M had offered Mississippi State had offered him his sophomore year, and he was looking at some schools. And you know, he just came to me with, and we went and visited Alabama. And so, mm-hmm. when we came back, you know, he didn't have a front runner, but he. He just knew that he wanted to play in the SEC. And so that's, you know, that's all I got out of him at that time. And so people were still recruiting him, but he narrowed it down when he said, he, you know, he was going to the SEC. And so then, you know, Alabama, you know, once you get past the, the history and all those things and you just look at what are they doing now and what are they doing for the kids, those are the things that impressed him. Um, you know, he, he clearly understands – I think he used the word in an interview that Coach Saban's, you know, a fiery coach. And, well, he's been coached. So it's not like he's going to go there and wilt under pressure if a coach yells at him or gets on his case or something like that. So he can handle it, but he just thought that was the best fit for him. You know, and it was a case where the decision had probably – he had set a date of June because he wasn't trying to have any press conferences and – things like that at school. He just wanted to make a decision, let the people know, and and move on. And so, you know, he had actually committed before he went to Los Angeles. And it was a case where, you know, he honestly wasn't going to make it public. He didn't want to take it down there and have a media circus, I guess you'd say, about him (laughs) committing to Alabama. But then, you know, it was some things that changed. And, you know, so... The day that he was flying down there, you know, we felt it was best to get it over with because it was coming out. And so we, you know, he went ahead and and let them tweet it out or whatever when he got down there for their media day. Yeah, and that that was interesting. I thought he handled it very professionally. Uh, he And as you said, he, he does pay attention to the social media aspect, but he doesn't uh, necessarily have to to be front and center and do he doesn't do a lot of the interviews he's grinding with his team but I think also he can use this platform to help you, your program and help a lot of his teammates uh, garner interest from schools and help them move on to the college level as well well see and that that was the biggest deal was why he set the June date you know he had figured out a long time ago that you know he wanted to go to Alabama but what happened was when he got to the end he didn't want to. He knows that in May is when the you know when the college recruiters come out to the school, and he right. did not want to to commit and not afford his teammates the opportunity to be seen by someone. And so that's why he you know held to well I'm going to do it after school's out and, and that kind of deal because he wanted to make sure that you know all the recruiters still came out and that all his teammates had an opportunity to be seen. And that's a, that that shows that we, really leadership right there, too, and caring about your teammates. And obviously he must be – I know his team holds him in high esteem. But now just kind of talk about your team going forward, Coach, for uh, my listeners that uh, you talked about how tough your region is uh, and your district in Texas. Uh, what are you, what uh, It's obviously going to be another tough slate for you, but kind of talk about the season going forward. Well, I mean, you know, I go this one game at a time. And so, you know, we're going to play a very disciplined, well-coached team invited tonight. And, you know, 
we know what we need to go in and do, and hopefully we take care of our business and come out on top. Um, you know, we, we're in a very tough district. You know, it's produced some mm-hmm. really good players. You know, uh, Alabama had one. Um, DeAndre White went to North Shore, who's a neighboring school who we play. Um, anybody that was Coach Hurts out there in Channel View, Texas. Uh, Drew, he gave us a, a picture of his son there that kind of makes me think uh, a, a taller, uh, more polished Blake Sims type player. Who may have lost Drew. But, uh, you know, Kerry, listening to that, uh, I, I completely agree with you, and that's pretty exciting. If, if Lane Kiffin can hold his job together, he might be able to do something with the young man because Lord knows. Well, uh, well let's just <laughs> go ahead. We're going to go ahead and uh, I'm back. But uh, Sorry, I was Drew. looking at some things on Jalen Hurts, but uh, doing a little research on the young guy up to this point. But he's thrown for roughly, I don't have the exact stats, but over 900 yards. And, again, not really finished a game thus far through four weeks. And I believe he's rushed. Uh, and then as far as touchdown passes, uh, the rough numbers I've got, I think he's he's in double digits in touchdown passes, 10 or 11 to this point. Uh, he's rushed on the ground uh, for uh, all close to 10 touchdowns. And he's also, uh, at, you know, over 600-plus yards rushing. So he's a true dual-threat guy. Uh, you know, most people on film don't think he's 6'3 in the 210, but if Coach Hurts is right, he's grown to 6'3. That's tremendous, uh, no doubt about that. But as far as what I was going to say and interject with what uh, Thomas Watts just said, there is no way on God's green earth Lane Kiffin will be coaching uh, Jalen Hurts next year, unfortunately. Uh, that ship is pretty much going to sail, and uh, we'll see. Uh, but, uh uh, but, again, I think Jalen Hurts was uh, an excellent evaluation by Coach Saban and Lane Kiffin. Uh, I think he's a great player. I think he'll, he'll be thrown right into the mix. He's going to enroll early uh, and come in there and compete. And the quarterback job will be wide open. Jay Coker will be gone. I don't think Cooper Bateman can play in the SEC. Uh, we've got, you know, Alec Morris, who's a you know glorified GA, hasn't thrown a pass in four years at Alabama. So, you could very well see Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts fighting it out at Alabama in the spring. Thomas, just to jog your memory a little bit, uh, back on the 2nd of January, I know it's been a long time, but you and I were sitting around the media hotel. We had just got done chuckling and laughing and guffawing at how Auburn lost their bowl game. And then we flipped the TV in the media room over to the uh, LSU-Notre Dame game. And a, a guy who shredded Auburn this past weekend caught a kickoff and began to run it back. And when he broke into the clear, what did you and I alternate saying when Fournette was running that ball back? Um, why the hell is an LSU doing this all the time? And good Lord, no. this kid is fast. No, that's not it at all. It's what <laughs> I just hashtagged in the back chat. Oh, yeah. I said, I said, he gone. Thomas said, he gone. I said, he gone. Thomas said, he gone. So what Drew was saying about Lane Kiffin is the same thing you and I were saying about Leonard Fournette. Hashtag, he gone. Not, I, you can remember back a few months ago, even since you and I had that time in the media room at the hotel before we went to the Sugar Bowl, uh, Drew and I were kind of saying the same thing back and forth about Anthony Grant. And that that's came true. Through. So uh, we're saying it now about Lane Kiffin. Hashtag, he gone. I mean, I, I have been – Nose to the grindstone, throwing out resumes. So I haven't kept up with what's going on today. So I absolutely will 
buy into what y'all saying. Yeah, there's a uh, yeah Lane Kiffin. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows what the future is going to hold? But uh, I do think at the very least, uh, come December, he won't be at the University of Alabama anymore. He did a great job last year uh, for the Crimson Tide, almost won the Frank Broyles Award. This year, thus far, after a good week one, has been not so great. We will see what the future holds for Lane Kiffin and what uh, what what and what Alabama will do for the rest of this season. Uh, you know, anything can happen in college football. And when you follow the career arc of Lane Kiffin, bizarre things always happen. Yeah, if there's a record for uh, getting to boot during the season, he's got it. But I actually think you made a perfect statement there, Drew, without even trying to, when you said that uh, it would be December, because I personally think Alabama's going to the Peach Bowl, and I believe that's a December 31st game. So I think you're a prophet there, bro. We'll see, Kerry. I mean, you're right. We talked about that. Maybe going to the Peach Bowl. I've never been to an official Peach Bowl in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you know, another couple losses that could easily happen. Uh, but we'll see. This is a very talented football team still. I do agree with Patrick Wallace, though. Robert Foster was coming to his own and had probably become the best receiver on the football team. And to have him tear his uh, rotator cuff and be out for the majority or really the rest of this season really hurts. Uh, but now Calvin Ridley has got to step up. Uh, Ardarius Stewart's got to get his head out of his butt and uh, start running routes properly and, uh, you know, block and, you know, do the little things right. And then, of course, you need Chris Black. As, Chris, as uh, Patrick Walls aptly said, you've got to block. Uh, this is not a uh, this is not a glorified seven-on-seven. You've got to do your job. And uh, hopefully he realizes this because he's a fourth-year junior, really hadn't done a whole lot. Uh, his last, uh, you know, ability and talent – but it's time to 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 just start playing and uh, do and uh, and come to the forefront. And Richard Mullaney's not been here very long, but I think he looks like a pro. He's already jumped ahead of a lot of those guys, and hopefully it'll light a fire under some of them because it's time to play. Uh, and even really Cameron Sims, who's made a stunning recovery, we'll see what happens with him the rest of the year. Well, I think that's probably as good a time as any to go ahead and wrap this show. Uh, we've had an interesting and informative two hours, uh, and I uh, want to thank our guest tonight, Patrick Walls, a.k.a. Walls98, at Walls98 on Twitter. Um, a wonderful job, as always, by Rodney Orr in Hour 1 and John Garcia of Scout.com and BamaMag.com in Hour 2. Rodney, of course, with TighterInsider.com. So, Alabama versus Louisiana Monroe, 3 p.m., SEC Network, Brian Dean Stadium, be there, be square. Get back on the winning track. For Drew DeArmond of 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. For Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com. Wishing you good night. Thank you for listening to Bama's Radio. Members of the Bama Sports Radio family, and roll tide, everybody. Roll tide.